0: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Have you decided whether you are going to run for re-election in 2024? You haven't set up a re-election campaign yet, as your predecessor had by this time. (laughs) My predecessor needed to. (laughs) My predecessor. Oh, God, I miss it. Um, No, an answer is yes. My plan is to run for re-election. That's my expectation.
2: Do you believe you'll be running against former President Trump?
1: Oh, come on. I don't even think about it. I have no idea. I have no idea whether it'll be a Republican Party.
2: Uh, those are dumb questions, in my opinion. It's a dumb conversation of all the things we need to talk about. But anyway, um, uh, we're happy every Friday when we get to talk to Lon He Chen. He's the David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. And the director of domestic policy studies at Stanford University, and he's a regular contributor at CNN Opinion. And Lon, he, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you doing?
0: Hey, always great to be with you. Thanks. Um,
2: this is what I'm going to ask today. We never, we've, I don't think we've ever approached it this way. As a smart guy who follows all kinds of different stuff, what is the most interesting thing to you right now? Not what you know. I know lots of people have you on as guests, and they want to talk about the news of the day and. That's not always the most interesting or important thing going on. Uh, What's like what's actually on your mind, like things you're going to be reading up on today?
0: Uh, Boy, I mean, there's a lot of things I I, I'm always I always come back to this issue of how polarized we are as a society, you know, and how how many uh, and and really kind of intractable differences there seem to be between people based on, on kind of how they see politics. And I, I've been thinking a lot recently about how it is that there are institutions and the ways that we do things that actually make it worse. Um, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll just mention, this, this This might be a little nerdy, but the, the thing is every 10 years, you know, we take a census and then we actually draw new uh, lines for congressional and state legislative districts, right? Mm-hmm. We, we sort of create these new districts. And that's a really contentious process politically. I don't I don't know if people realize it, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. But one of the things that we And the done, states do that? Um, yeah, it's done state by state. And one of the things and different states do it differently, by the way. Some states have a commission independent so called independent commission of people that, that come out and, and propose lines, some have experts draw the lines, whatever. But one of the things that struck me is how when we draw these lines and we put these districts together, we oftentimes pack pack in people who think in a very similar way. We don't put people next to each other who have very different ways of thinking. And so as a result, people say, well, why are we much more polarized now? And I say one of the reasons is because we elect people to Congress or we elect people to state legislatures who are increasingly polarizing because that's also kind of what's what's happening to us. We're living next to people mm-hmm by and large who we you know may may think in a very similar way to who may look like us and that's much more common now than it was let's say a couple decades ago and i think that's actually made the polarization worse
2: yeah i've i've seen some of those stats on the number of counties that are um you know way more of one than the other and how much more that is than it used to be uh, it's uh, culturally, it's interesting. So, you know, getting to the press conference, which is the news of the day, when he was talking about the filibuster and that sort of thing. Well, I've seen a lot of cable news articles and or, uh, discussions and read a lot of articles about the filibuster. And each side chooses their own point going yeah. back as to who's to blame, you know, to who started this whole thing. Uh, well, uh, Mitch McConnell did do away with the filibuster for Supreme Court justices, but Harry Reid did it away with it for lower court judges. And then before that, you had, uh, you know, stonewalling on this, these uh, nominees. And so it just keeps getting further and further down the track of uh, of of tit for tat and getting further apart. Is it well, like you said, you've been thinking about this, trying to figure out how to fix it. But it doesn't seem like we're going the right direction currently.
0: We're not. I mean, this debate over the filibuster is a great example of that. I mean, you can very easily if you if you go on the Google machine, you can very easily look up and find clips of Joe Biden and Barack Obama and prominent Democrats talking about how important the filibuster is when they were in a position to use the filibuster to stop, let's say, either nominations or legislative action. And, you know, now the rules are reversed and you've got the same Democrats saying, well, you got to get rid of the filibuster. And by the way, you know, Republicans aren't aren't necessarily immune from that hypocrisy as well when it comes to these kinds of issues. So it, it, it really is that kind of political convenience that I think gets people worked up. I mean, at a at a very basic level you would hope that there can be some consistency in politics, but we we just don't see that as much anymore. And I think that also contributes to, you know, we're talking about this polarization thing, when you feel like you have to always take the positions that your side is taking. Otherwise you're some kind of traitor or you're somehow less than uh, in, in the Republican party. We have this term rhino that's been thrown around. You know, you're a rhino if you don't support everything the Republicans do. And, and, you know, I think that's really too bad because, there are a lot of things, if you just took a good, hard look at it and said, look, you know, is this something that that is conservative? Is this something that's progressive? And if it's so, then I'm going to support or oppose it. Then, you know, it's understandable. But when it comes down to just this kind of shirts and skins partisanship, uh, that to me is probably not not great for America in the long run.
2: We're talking with Lon He Chen. You probably see him on various uh, big-time shows here, him on various big shows, readers' articles, that sort of stuff. Um, one interesting thing we've been discussing is apparently, according to reporting, Joe Biden met with some historians the other day and said, you know, how big should I go? Am I going too big? And no, they, they all, because he invited in super liberal progressive historians, um, they all said, no, 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 go big, go as big, now's your time. And so we think he's working on trying to be a transformational, people talk about him a 100 years from now like FDR sort of president. And, you know, if he takes some hits right now, uh, politically for doing away with the filibuster that won't matter if people are still talking about the major the the, the, the important changes he made to america you know uh, a century from now do you, do you think that's where we're headed
0: yeah i mean i think that is part of the goal of uh of, of many who support him and perhaps uh, biden himself i mean just look at it for context we've passed two trillion dollars in uh fiscal stimulus spending or or fiscal relief, whatever you want to call it, it's two trillion dollars of spending. And we and we did so in sort of a record amount of time without a whole lot of reflection, in my view. And now they're talking about doing four trillion dollars in additional spending later this year on, you know, I mean some of it is surely stuff that we need. We need better roads and bridges and airports and no one's arguing with that. But the notion that we would do it and you know just kind of say and wave our hands at it and say well it's just another couple trillion dollars that amount of expansion and spending and expansion in the rule of government will will truly be unprecedented and i think if biden manages to be successful even if it's just with that 2 trillion pack 2 2 trillion dollar package he did and another several trillion dollars of spending going forward that will cement his place in history in some ways as being the most progressive president that we've that we've ever seen yeah and, and i and I, I think it's remarkable because a, a lot of people i think who voted for him and supported him said okay look here's someone who's going to be relatively moderate and reasonable and come in and try to heal the divisions and you know i just say I, let's look at where we are and let's look at what what's actually happened
2: yeah you never know what you're going to get you know i've done a lot of reading about lbj and uh, all those Carroll books and you know he was the guy in the senate that stopped any civil rights legislation from ever even getting a sniff in a committee for years and years and years, and then when he becomes president, you know, he turns on a dime and, and takes it the other direction. So you, you never know what you're going to get with the president. It's it's really interesting, and and that was a good thing, obviously. But um, uh, I guess you don't know what's in somebody's true heart until they they get the power to do things. Do you have any idea how many push-ups you can do in a row right now? Uh, <laughs> I don't
0: know. It's a good question. So we I, <laughs> I could lie, I could lie and say a hundred, uh, but well, that to, wouldn't be true. Be I impressive. mean, I think, I think. Uh, I don't know, I I, I think 50. I think my son can do more than I can, actually, because he's, you know, he's and and he's 10, so that just tells you what what kind of shape I'm in.
2: That's funny, because my oldest is 11, and uh, the other day we ran, and he's just about faster than me now. I have to run full speed to barely beat him now in a sprint.
0: Yeah, yeah, there are points when you realize your own physical limitations, and I, I will I will say that that is that is a that is a part of the of the age curve I am starting to find myself on now.
2: It's interesting because every day I get slower, and every day he gets faster. So at some point, those lines are going to cross, like supply and demand. The reason I ask is we had this health thing. Um, your chance of heart disease goes down two thirds if you can do eleven push-ups as opposed to ten in a row. And I wow. did, and I cranked out eleven, so I'm feeling good about my heart health. So. Just wanted to you know. That's my, a
0: great that's a great stat. Yeah, it is. I, I didn't I didn't know that. I, I learned something today.
2: Yeah, that's that's Andy. Um one more political question before we let you go. Um uh watching the press conference, did, I, what do you think the performance was like overall? Were you bothered by a guy who used to chair the Foreign Relations Committee and was on Meet the Press every Sunday and could talk about any place in the world and name the leaders and had all those facts and figures at you know at the tip of his tongue? That's the way he was. Young Joe Biden now having to read cue cards for his own foreign policy. Yeah, I
0: mean he, he's clearly lost several steps since he uh, you know played those roles. You know, I mean, look, I think to me, at least, that's not what I focus on. I don't I'm not bothered by whether he's reading or not. What I am bothered by is the actual policy. OK, what what I'm more bothered by is what they're actually doing rather than what he's talking about or how he's talking about it. I mean, Joe Biden's never going to win on style points. So, you know, whatever you give him that. And I I understand people, you know, take issue with the fact that he can't even talk about it without the cue cards. and, And that's fine if they want to. My my bigger issue is. You know, do we really think four trillion dollars in additional spending makes sense? Do we really think that, uh, you know, a a foreign policy like the one that we've got now, you know, makes sense? I think those are the kinds of questions we should be asking and not, you know, did he read off a cue card or not? I mean, that that's kind of where I would spend my time and and energy.
2: So does he do like two press conferences a year, all with just a handful of reporters on his side that he knows what they're going to ask? Is that the way he's going to do it?
0: Well, the the more to me, at least the more shocking thing was not his performance, but the reporter's performance. Yeah. The fact that you've got so many reporters who are unwilling to ask tough questions, it's their job to ask tough questions. They asked a lot of tough questions of Donald Trump when he was president. That's what that's what the media is supposed to do now when it comes to Joe Biden. They, you know, they say things like, well, you know, you have an image as an honorable and decent man. And, you know, but, you know, it, it's almost like Uncle Joe's story time instead <laughs> of holding a president accountable. And and you need to hold presidents accountable. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, the job of the media, if they're doing it well, is to hold people in power accountable. And you look at what's happening in Washington, by the way, you look at what's happening in, in state capitals like Sacramento. That's why there's all this people, all these people worked up about Gavin Newsom. No one asks the hard questions anymore. And and that's when you get essentially politicians who decide they can do whatever they want. Cuomo is another one. Well, part of year, it got away with with murder.
2: Well, part of it, especially now, is you'll get lit up by your own side on your Twitter feed if you if you come out. You I mean, there was an there was a column in the Washington Post saying, "Hey, media, go easy on Uncle Joe. Remember, he's on our side, not Trump, you know that sort of thing." It's
0: yeah, I don't think no, people I mean, want to take no the bullets no, from their own side. No, yeah, there's no our side or their side when it comes to the – there shouldn't be when it comes to the media. Unfortunately, we know that in, in too many cases there is, and and it shouldn't be that
2: way. Well, I took a lot of your time today. I appreciate you doing it. I expect you to tweet out later how many push-ups you did in a row, and I'll be uh, following your Twitter feed. That's, I'll, be,
0: uh... I'll be I'll be ashamed so you're not going <laughs> to see that number. But uh, but but all, all the best for, for good heart health. I uh, think yeah. that's a great wish for everybody.
2: You bet. Thank you very much, Lan He Chen. A regular contributor on CNN Opinion, uh, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in public policy at Hoover and uh, an all-around smart guy. And I like it whenever. If I see he's on Face the Nation or something like that, I know it's going to be a good episode. Um, I just had a buddy text me that he did three sets of 25 push-ups this morning, 75 in a row.
1: Uh, and uh, so he did twenty five in a row three times. Yeah, still impressive. But I can't come close yeah. to that. Yeah, so. it's not a competition. Yeah. Good job for you, sir. <laughs> it's not. We're only competing against ourselves. <laughs> yesterday,
2: <laughs> our text line is four one five two nine five KFTC.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
2: The Armstrong and Getty Show. We got to play uh, later this hour. The, the the the, and I agree with Hee Chen. We were talking to. I'm not. I'm not near as worried about gaffes or, you know, how old he looks and that sort of stuff. I ca- I care way more about policy than that than that sort of thing. Um, but the one biggest stumble where Biden just like stopped. I'm still wondering what he was planning on saying we'll play that for you later it's it's pretty interesting uh speaking be on the older end jessica walter i didn't know her actual name actress died at the age of 80 yesterday she was the mom from arrested development and which is one of the funniest shows of all time here's a little montage of that
0: claiming she could take it no more the young mother released the emergency brake allowing her car to roll backwards into the nearby lake
1: good for her
2: i'm not approved but it's one o'clock in the afternoon is your mother drunk i'd have to get up pretty early to get drunk by one (laughs) o'clock get rid of the c-word i'll leave when i'm good and ready don't you judge me you're the selfish one you're the one who charged his own brother for a bluth frozen banana i mean it's one banana michael what could it cost ten dollars that coat cost more than your house oh that's how we joke She doesn't even have a house. Get my vodka rocks. Mom, it's breakfast. And a piece of toast. I'll be in the hospital bar. Uh, You know, there isn't a hospital bar, Mother. This is why people hate hospitals. (laughs) I'll be in the hospital bar. That's actually a great idea. Kind of like an airport. Everybody just hangs out. Man, what, what what you
1: got going on? Ah, oh, my wife's having a baby. The over-the-top, out-of-rich, successful. I don't know if there's ever been a better portrayal of it uh, than than her. She's so good. Here's just a a couple. Uh, another one. Um, this is uh this is actually from the very first episode where they are uh, uh, on the boat and uh, their their party is getting disrupted by a protest uh, off to the side. Everything and it was so dramatic and flamboyant. It just makes me want to set myself on fire. <laughs> Like just those little tight, compact, oh, I'm just such a fan of her. She, she makes me laugh so much. Also heavily featured on the animated show Archer, which is not appropriate. It's a cartoon, but don't watch it with kids. Uh, it's super inappropriate, uh, James Bond style sort of thing. But she's also featured in that in, in, in hilarious ways.
2: I thought Arrested Development was going to do a movie. What happened to that? And obviously she can't be in it now.
1: Uh, they, they did like a couple more episodes that I, was it on Hulu, I think? Um, and it just, it was neat to see the band back together, but it wasn't the band back together, you know, like
2: the old Gilligan's Island reunions when I was a kid, just never, probably the
1: same. I have (laughs) no (laughs) concept (laughs) really
2: was never what you was hoping it would be. (laughs) I can only imagine (laughs) they'd bring everybody back and it's kind of cool to see them together again, but eh, nothing really happened. Uh, yeah, we'll play the biggest gaffe from the Joe Biden. I mean, it's, it's just mockery. It's got nothing to do with policy or anything like that, but as an old man who just comes to us. Like a complete cul-de-sac in his thought, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if he decided I shouldn't say this or if he lost track of what he was doing. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, dealing with pharmacies trying to sign up for the COVID shot as they're being opened up all across the country for more and more people. Practically everybody's available now. A whole bunch of states have gone 16 and older to sign up, but all that stuff on the way.
0: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Officials in China recently closed the country's first sex doll hotel and released a statement attributing the move to reasons, quote, not convenient to explain. (laughs) And I think I speak for everyone when I say, I'll uh, I'll make time for this one. (laughs) So what do you mean? The reasons are not convenient to explain. I think it's pretty easy to explain. Sex doll hotel is the explanation.
2: <laughs> they closed, did they? Oh boy, yeah. I don't want to go any uh, further on that. Um, we have a celebrity death. Unfortunately, we'll talk about that in a little bit. The internet has turned on Shrimp Tail. Cinnamon toast crunch guy.
1: Oh yeah, he got milkshake ducked real quick. Oh really? Yeah. Is it turn out he's a phony? No, it's uh it's more a lot of uh exes have kind of come out oh. and uh I, I don't this this He's is, not a good guy. Yeah, it seems like that, but I also don't know right the, so many things lines have been blurred is 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 he a bad boyfriend or is he an oh, abusive oh, yeah. partner? Right, I, those right. are two completely different sure, things. Absolutely. And I think oftentimes uh, those lines get blurred. Oh, God, I would say, I would absolutely
2: say, yeah, I might have to look into that because I, I love that conversation because the whole, because the relationships, in my experience, practically always end ugly yeah. in, in, in some sense. And now it's become a, you're uh, abusive. Anyway. Uh, that's a different topic. I uh, wanted to play this one clip from the Biden press conference. not important policy not it 's not really important anything it's just kind of interesting listen to know what was going on with an old
1: man who started on a long story i 'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate, so the best way to get something done if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to Anyway,
2: uh, we're ready to get a lot done. So I still don't know. I don't know if he bailed because he decided, no, I shouldn't say that. That's going to cause me all kinds of problems. Or if he completely forgot what the end of his thought was going to be. What was I talking about again? I have no idea. Man, he just completely
1: bailed there. I don't know the full context of the exchange, but it, it seemed to be an extension of when he was trying to explain the order of operations of what we're trying to do here. I'm going to
2: say oh. something outrageous. Uh, anyway. I don't know. Darren Tudier. Uh And then he makes that weird sound. I, uh, I have uh, started uh, down the road of a joke before and then pulled the eject button and uh, decided now I'm not going to say that. So, uh, maybe he was uh, doing something along those lines. I wanted to mention this. Larry McMurtry, who you either know or you don't, the prolific novelist and screenwriter best known for Lonesome Dove and Terms of Endearment, has died at the age of 84. Lonesome Dove, is one of my favorite things ever put on the screen, and uh, the acting is fantastic. The way it was made is fantastic, but the the writing and the story is just brilliant.
1: As good of a story as can be told, oh it's, my it's God. great.
2: Just absolutely, and I love the movie Terms of Endearment. So, uh, Larry McMurtry has passed. Great. If you've never read any of his books, do that.
1: I've only watched it. I've never read his stuff. I thought, and as so often happens with these things, it's sad that it took his death for me to pick up his book and read right. it. But right.
2: Um, Are we going to post the ski jumper at the website, Hanson, or is that not the sort of thing we do? That's exactly the sort of thing we do, (laughs) is what he says. Ski jumper in stable condition after horrific fall. I haven't actually watched the video, but I've seen the picture in which his head is tucked up underneath him in a way that shouldn't happen after landing a ski jump poorly. Got out over his skis. Not uh, but figuratively, see, but literally. He's recovering, though, is... In stable condition. Okay, okay. Of course, he can be in stable condition and paralyzed from the neck down. Huh. I don't know what the rest of that story is. Uh, but we will post that video at armstrongandgetty.com. Apparently, we are the sort of show that does that. Uh, got a guy here who says, I can talk. I could call in and talk about that ship that got stuck at the Suez Canal, as I'm a U.S. merchant mariner, mariner with an engineering... Uh, license and a degree and all this sort of stuff, you know, we maybe we will get him on if it still ends up being stuck over the weekend. But that's turned out to be quite the world story. As Joe said earlier, try not to make a mistake a day that people today that people can see from space. It's actually (laughs) that big. And it's stuck completely sideways. And it's costing billions of dollars a day. I don't know to who probably spread out over all kinds of different uh, industries and companies that can't get anything through there where 10% of the world's com- commerce goes through. And it's just plain stuck in the mud and they're trying to dig it out. And it's just so giant. And there's talk of unloading. They talked about unloading all the fuel so it wouldn't be so heavy, but they're afraid it will tip over. What? (laughs) And uh, then you'd have a serious mess on your hands. It would just tip over, and then everything would fall off into the water, I
1: suppose. So it's created a bit of a traffic jam behind it, and some of the ships are now just doing their own kind of calculations and thinking, you know, it'll be quicker for us to just sail around Africa. But I'm almost certain that I would be the guy... If if I'm in charge of those vessels, I'm the. No, I'm tying up to this other boat. We're hanging here for a little bit, right? I'm. The weather's up. nice. We got a case of beer. Cracking some Bluetooth speaker out, and uh, you know what? We're we're just waiting. We're waiting it out, boss.
2: So this reminds me, Joe and I, we were visiting a port a couple years ago uh, to learn more about California rice, and we ended up talking to some guy that knows about these big boats that come in from you know clear across the Pacific Ocean. Um, these tank kind of like this boat, I suppose. These big, giant, if you're ever to a big city, you've seen these enormous boats. It turns out there's a pretty small crew that are on these boats. There's just a handful of people and cargo on these boats that are on the water for months at a time traveling around the world. And this guy was explaining to us how weird these people are that work on these boats not the captain and that sort of stuff but just like the crew who are who tend to be people that want to be alone and in the dark and they just stay inside that boat not talking to anybody for days weeks and months at a time and they become like super weirdos and even when you get to port it's not like uh, you know the old stories of uh, you know sailors uh uh, in the navy, you come into port, man. They head to
1: the bars, and where's the girls? And, Let's just have descend a good time. upon the nightlife of the town.
2: Yeah, no, you come into port, and these weirdos just stay in the in the, in the bowels of the dark ship, talking to themselves and white writing weird poetry, and wow. uh, uh, and and they just they turn into like sort of like um he 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 used the examples of like rodents that just scurry about in these boats, and and and, and very very weird sort of person that signs up for that job, and then they become really weird over time. If you know anything about that, text me, because I found that whole thing fascinating. Somebody needs to to do a documentary on that or write a book, Um, 415-295-KFTC. And I wonder if this particular ship had some of that crew, and have they gotten off yet, or are they still hunched down there, uh, you know, drawing pictures on their faces and writing weird poetry and that sort of stuff, waiting until the ship gets uh, unstuck. Hilarious. Um, We should definitely get into the whole what Barack Obama said about the filibuster, because if you haven't heard that, it's... Pretty amazing, this whole filibuster conversation that came about yesterday. Barack Obama, 2005, young, dark-haired Barack Obama, fully in support of the filibuster. He was not decrying it as a Jim Crow relic then for certain. But I want to talk a little bit about going to the pharmacy yesterday and getting the shot and all that. Uh, Would things get better or worse if we had universal health care? i got to believe it would get Significantly worse, and be a lot more of this whole sort of waiting in line, and it's not your turn yet. It's just a disaster, and get worse every single day. More on that on the way.
0: Armstrong and Getty. The
1: Armstrong and
0: Getty Show. But do you know what convinced me big tech is a a destructive force? It's how you've abused your power to manipulate and harm our children. Your platforms are my biggest fear as a parent. Do each of you acknowledge that your company has profited of harmful misinformation, conspiracy theories, and violent content on your platform? Just a yes or no.
1: No, that's not our business. I don't think we profit from it. I think it hurts our service.
0: Certainly not our intent. Since you all said no, can you please provide to me in writing how you manage to avoid collecting revenue from ads either targeted by or served on such content?
2: It's interesting that those clips mostly just included the questions because that's what these congressional hearings have become. They've all figured out that if they sound tough and ask a tough question, that will get played on the evening news and that's all wherever they're from. Uh, your district, wherever you're from, and uh, and you sound tough and like you're taking on the issues of the day. And whether or not it had any relevance to the hearing or the answer made any difference or you're going to craft any policy doesn't really make any difference. That's a hearing from yesterday with the tech heavyweights. You had Zuckerberg from Facebook, you had uh, Dorsey from Twitter, and then you had the other person, whoever they are, from Google?
1: Uh, yes, under Pichai of Google, yeah. yes.
2: And he goes out of his way to make sure we don't know his name. Um he he tries. to why
1: I go out of my way to say it. He he
2: he doesn't want to be a household name. Now the whole yes or no thing, uh Dorsey from Twitter kind of made fun of yesterday on his Twitter account. He put out a question mark and then a poll yes or no, and it was polling heavily yes. But he was making fun of this idea that they kept asking them yes or no questions. I get the whole yes or no question because sometimes it is a very good way to cut through people who are trying to f- filibuster you to, wait a second, just answer yes or no. But sometimes it doesn't make any sense on a, com- a complex issue. It's unfair to make somebody answer yes, no, sometimes. I think this is one of those, but here you go. start by asking all three of you um, if your platform bears some responsibility for disseminating
0: disinformation related to the election and the Stop the Steal movement that led to the attack on the Capitol. Just a yes or no answer. Mr. Zuckerberg.
1: Chairman, I think our responsibility is to build systems that can I help. Just, Mr.
2: Zuckerberg, I just want a yes or no answer, okay? Yes or no, do you, do you bear some responsibility for what happened?
1: Congressman, our responsibility is to make sure that we build effective systems. Okay, to help the fight general
2: is not to answer the question. Uh, Mr. Pachai, yes or no?
1: We always feel a deep sense of responsibility, but I think we worked hard. Uh, This election effort was one of our most substantive efforts. Is that a yes or a no? Uh, Congressman, it's a complex question. Uh, We Okay, we'll move
0: on. Uh, Mr. Dorsey.
1: Yes, but you also have to take into consideration a broader ecosystem. It's not just about the technology platforms we use.
2: So was the only one that answered a yes or no, but uh, it's, it's 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 unfair to ask a yes or no question on something like that. But again, uh, to any individual congressperson, it sounds like you're being really tough and holding the powerful's feet to the fire, and uh, and it, you know makes you look like you're you're doing your job. Um, I wish we could have more grown up conversations about this sort of stuff. Even if they said yes, and what, and now what, or if I say no and you disagree, and, and so what are you going to do about it then? Um, yeah, of course they. It had helped disseminate the information. Well, I'm not even going to get into that complicated thing. So um, I was at the... I had a particular drug I needed to try to get for my son, who has been on so many different medications over the last several years because of his particular needs. And I was at the park the other day talking to a mom, and uh, we'd never met each other, and our kids started playing and that sort of stuff, and we ended up on the conversation, and she's got a daughter who uh, has similar problems to, uh, to my son and is uh, just at the starting process of seeing psychiatrists and therapists and doctors and trying different medications. And, you know, we commiserated over the whole thing of you get prescribed a new medication, she so start taking it. It takes like a month before it starts to kick in. Then when it kicks in, it either makes things worse or better. And then if it makes things worse or you have terrible side effects, then you've got to wean off of it for a month. While the side effects continue, oh, and then you then then you start on another one, and then you got to wait a month before that one kicks in and see what those side effects are, or you take a drug to deal with the side effects, and it gives you more side effects, and it's just it's it's just a mess. But anyway, I one particular drug that seems to be working pretty good that we've been on for a couple of years. And we were running out of it this week. And I was trying to deal with the pharmacy to try to get it refilled. And I'll bet I spent total, no exaggeration, five and a half hours either oh. on the phone or in person this week trying to figure out how to get this medicine. And I wish we could come up with a better system. And I went to the pharmacy several times and waited in line forever. And, uh, and you know, you've, you've all done this sort of thing. But th- this particular question, and maybe somebody can help me with this. Because the pharmacy will tell me, uh, we'll have it for you tomorrow by noon. Okay. So then when I get there to pick it up, they say, we don't have that yet. Well, you, huh. you told me you would have it. Well, we don't have it. Okay. Yeah, so so come back tomorrow or wait an hour or whatever it is. So I've, I've been through this, I don't know how many times, and we all have. So I finally said, and I tried to control my temper and my emotions and my tone of voice. Because my, as my wife always tells me, you sound way angrier than you think you do. And it's not the fault of this nice woman. But I said to her, I said, what as a consumer do you do? How do you handle this situation? If I call and say you have it, if you send me texts that say it's ready, but when I show up and it's not ready, is there anything I can do to avoid this? So I don't drive all the way over here for 20 minutes, wait in a line for 20 minutes, get up here and have you tell me it's not ready. Can you wait another 30 minutes, turning it into like an hour and a half ordeal? Is there anything I can do? Uh well you know uh call ahead I I do sometimes I do call ahead you sent me a text that said it's ready so I can't trust the text no the text should be accurate well it wasn't today as we we've just seen so we just she had no answer really I just want what do you do you all do is there any way to make sure that the medicine is actually ready and that surely they don't want every single person who has a a prescription to call. Because then the pharmacists are on the phone all day long confirming something that they're supposed to be able to confirm with, their, with a different system. And how's that all working with the vaccine and getting the information out on that sort of thing? I, I, I've got a friend who's, uh, his, his wife is a pharmacist and I've, we've known each other since we were 19 years old and she was in chemistry class and studying to be a pharmacist at the time. And she said being a pharmacist is one of the most miserable things you can possibly imagine. Oh, you get into it because you're like a science math yeah. geek. But what you end up dealing with is just angry people and insurance companies. That's what you do. It has nothing to do with you being a scientist or super great at math or anything like that. You spend all your time either on the phone with the insurance company while somebody yells at you, why isn't my my, my prescription ready, or why is it $70 this time and it was $10 last time. And that that's all you do. That's your whole job. And uh, my local pharmacy... Um, the, the one I like, we got transferred to another one that I hate, but the local pharmacy I like, I saw this woman show up. She was new, the head, new head pharmacist, and I could tell she was fresh out of school and she was young and she looked like she's about 24 years old and smile and She'd greet everybody. Good morning. How are you? How can I help you today? And within like a month, she just shuffled around with a grim look on her face. What can I do for you? She was just a, What do you been, want? She'd been ground down to a nub. Next! By, by ev- almost every customer. If you listen to the person in front of you or the person behind you, almost every single customer is unhappy at the pharmacy. With either the price or the fact that it's not ready, or how come this or how come that. It's hilarious. And then when I finally did it up there yesterday, after like seven hours of dealing with this, that'll be $550. Oh. I said, 550 dollars? What the hell are you talking about? I've been getting this medicine for years. It's like eleven bucks. It's five hundred and fifty dollars. What? No, it's not. Uh, well, that's what the cost is. I said. So I got to call my insurance company. Yes. So then, then I'll have to come back tomorrow after I work this out and drive a half hour and wait in line for a half hour. And it, yes, I. That's the way it has to happen. So I'm going back again today.
1: Isn't life fun? Because I didn't
2: pay the five hundred fifty dollars. I thought that this, is just, this is just no way to be a grown up. If I thought that would be significantly better by single-payer health care, you might be able to get me on board. But my experience at the DMV leads me to believe that it's going to go the other direction. They'll care even less because then then, then, then you can't get fired or anything. You got something, Hanson? No, you're not adding to that? Oh, my God. It's just it, it, it's absolutely amazing. So then the $500? The, $550! 500, okay, fine. Here's my credit card. No! Nobody's going to pay $550! <laughs> Unless I'm dying, I almost am, because I had to pee for the entire 45 minutes I've been waiting in line, but I knew if I got out of line, somebody else would move in front of me.
1: I, I'm anticipating you back there tomorrow, and then, oh, sorry, it's gone. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know everybody deals with this, but every single person, and especially the, the older crowd, they're always mad at the pharmacist. Why does it cost so much, or why isn't it ready? Of course, they have the slightly different situation of if they tell you to wait 20 minutes, you might not have anything else to do if you're retired, but oh my God. I, I probably lived 20 years of my life without ever going to the doctor or ever going to the pharmacy when I was single and healthy. And if you, if you end up, uh, when I had cancer or if you got a kid that's sick or whatever and you start dealing with the healthcare system a lot, you realize what a freaking mess it is. Ugh. And the prices are all over the place and nobody has any idea how anything works. Jeez. What a nightmare. Anyway, any ideas? Text line 415-295-KFTC.
1: Armstrong and
2: Getty.